All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, I know Ryan uh, welcomed our first-time guest, but I just want to say, for me, especially to you as well, we are so glad that you're here. Listen, uh, we may not know your name. Uh, We may have never met before, but here's what I believe, because I know this is true, that we've been planning for you to be here today. We've been praying for you to come because God wants to encounter you, and he wants you to encounter him in a really powerful way this morning, um, and we, we've been plan, planning for you. Uh, man, listen, we are a church where our, our, our strive, our goal, the thing that we're shooting for every single day, every single week is that to, we want to be a place where, where all people can experience life in Jesus, and that includes you, no matter where you're from, no matter your background, no matter you know, kind of what brought you here today, no matter what you're struggling with. No matter what your beliefs are, listen, we believe this, that that God is for you and God wants you to experience the fullness of what his his love really means. And so I'm just excited that you've taken the time to come to join us today. It's an honor to us that you're here. And and I believe this, that you you couldn't have come on a better better Sunday because we're kicking off this new series called Love Fredericksburg. For those that don't speak hashtag, that's how we say that. Um, Love Fredericksburg. It's a new series. We're going to talk about the art of neighboring. But before we jump in with that, I want to just um, share one quick thing with you, challenge you uh, just a little bit and invite you to um, come on a journey with me as we get ready for Easter. Hey, Easter Sunday is about 40 days away. It's April 16th, and we at River Club are going to celebrate that Sunday morning with three identical services at 8, 30, 10, and then at 11, 30. So we're going to do a little bit different times that morning, but and we're going to add additional service because we believe this, that, that God is going to use you to invite people to come. And God is going to allow us to be able to minister to and get to meet more people on that Sunday. And so we'll tell you more about how you can be a part of that next Sunday. But what I want to do, just for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about how you can personally uh, join this journey toward Easter over these next 40 days. Uh, This season is a season uh, in the church calendar called Lent. Now, I don't know, you know your background. I grew up in a, in, a, in a Southern Baptist church down in Texas, so we didn't talk much about Lent, right? But as I've grown and kind of understood a little bit more, Lent's really just a season of time where some followers of Jesus have set that aside and said, listen, over these next 40 days, the 40 days leading up to Easter, um, we want to refocus and just kind of have God re-energize our life. And so to do that, followers of Jesus have often made several commitments. And so I want to challenge you as your pastor to join me in really committing to three things over the next 40 days from, from now till, till Easter Sunday. The first is this, is I want to encourage you to take time every single day to read the Bible. Uh, to read a little bit of scripture every single day and, and to really journey with us in this way. Um, I want to challenge you to read all four gospels, the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the next 40 days. And so if you're ready to do that with me in your worship guide, there's some daily readings that are there every single week. And it kind of said, this is what to read on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Take some time to do that. Um, I, I believe this, that God will bless your life if you make that decision, make that commitment. Second is this, is to pray. To spend some time talking to God every single day. Talking to God about what's going on in your life, what's going on in the lives of the people that you know that you care about. But also to to join us in praying for a specific focus every single week as we lead up to Easter and go through this series called Love Fredericksburg. The focus this week is we want you to pray for your neighborhood. And you'll, you'll figure out why here in a little bit. But to pray for your neighborhood. 
The third thing to do is probably the one that's a little bit more challenging. We want to encourage you to fast from something between now and Easter. Now, when you fast from something, you give up something in order to refocus your heart and your life on God. So people sometimes fast from food. Sometimes they fast from fast food or a certain, you know, sweets or caffeine or, or coffee. Or sometimes they, they fast from social media. They fast from watching TV. You know, whatever that is, it's you kind of saying, God, I'm going to give something up for a season of time so that when I, I, I crave that, I desire that, my focus will turn back to you. And so, listen, you can choose to fast one day, one meal, one day a week. There's really no prescription for how you're supposed to do this. But I believe that when we fast, when we do that, that that God really, he softens our hearts, what he wants to do in our life. And so I'm inviting you to join me on this journey. And listen, you might be here today and you're like, Zach, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. You know, is this for me? I believe it is. Because if you're wanting to know, can I really know God? Can I really experience God? Is, is all this stuff these Christian people talk about for real? This is a great way to join that journey and explore with us. So I want to encourage you to do that with us over the next 40 days, all right? Um, today, like I said, we're kicking off this series called Love Fredericksburg, The Art of Neighboring. And I know this, that we as a church have people from all different places and all different back, backgrounds. So I wanted to kind of get to know you a little bit more and kind of where you're from. So um, help me out with this. Um, if you grew up in... The Fredericksburg area, so just you know, this, this immediate area. If you grew up here, would you raise your hand? All right, so this has got some Fredericksburg people here. If you grew up in Virginia, in a different place in Virginia, raise your hand. All right, what about a different state? All right, similar, the same thing in the first service this morning. A lot of us aren't from Virginia. We're transplants. Um, what about a different country? Who grew up in a different country? Okay, different planet, Anybody? There's a couple. I, I believe it. I believe it. I don't know. I'm, no judgment there, but I'm not shocked. All right. But, um, you know, and so think about this. You know, no matter where you grew up, no matter if it was in Virginia, Texas, like I, you know, wherever, I want you to think back to the neighborhood you lived in growing up. Think back to your neighborhood. What was your neighborhood like? You know, what were your neighbors like? You know, what did you, you know, did you hang out with uh, the, the kids and the, 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 the students in, in that neighborhood? You know, were you, were you close to your neighbors? Was there that one weird neighbor that you really didn't really, you know, try to figure out what was going on with them? Like, think back to your neighborhood, right? You know, when I think back to my neighborhood, you know, I think back to a lot of fun. My neighborhood was um, really my social circle growing up as a kid. We lived in a neighborhood called Sherwood Forest. I actually lived on a street called Little John, Right. It was right next to Robin Hood. King Richard was around the corner. Like, seriously. And, and I remember growing up in that neighborhood, you know, all the afternoons of playing two-hand touch football, you know, and then somebody would tackle you and everybody would get mad and somebody would fight, you know, but that's kind of what we did. And, you know, riding bikes around and, uh, you know, going over to our neighbor's house and going over to our friend's houses. And we all went to the same elementary school that was right up the road, so we would walk to school. And, and I remember, you know, one of the, the best things we used to do, we played basketball all the time. And whenever, uh, you know, Michael Jordan was huge back then, and, and we couldn't dunk because we were all white and short. And so what we did was <clears throat> was we decided we got the, the full-size trampoline and stuck it up right by a goal. And we would, you know, jump up and we would dunk. I mean, like, I, look, I think back to my neighborhood, and I'm like, you know, those were the people that I knew the, the most. I mean, that was kind of my, my, my sphere of life was my neighborhood. And, you know, what's interesting is, is as I kind of think about my neighborhood now and my kids and their interaction in our neighborhood now, it's a little bit different than when I grew up. 
how many of you would say that kind of the neighborhood experience today is a little bit different than your experience growing up, right? Right? I think it's true. It, because we see this reality in, in our, our culture that, that things have just changed a little bit. And oftentimes it makes us kind of go back and, and you know that you're getting older when you start thinking about the good old days, right? But, you know, is it that the good old days are gone, you know, or are we just kind of maybe doing things a little bit differently? When I started thinking about this series, I came across this book that was actually recommended by some people on our staff. Um, it's called The Art of Neighboring by two pastors, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. And they're two pastors in Colorado. And, and they, they really just begin looking at this, this question of what does it mean to truly live out the, the basic commands of Jesus in, in your, your most immediate proximity? And they tell the story that as, as pastors, they met with the mayor of their town. And all these church leaders got together and they asked the mayor, they said, you know, how can we partner with the community to make a difference and really serve our city? And they said that the mayor replied this way. The mayor, after talking, all these brainstorming, all these ideas, said this, that the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And they said that the mayor left the meeting and all these pastors kind of sat around and they had started having this conversation and they were like, that's such a basic idea. But I wonder if that really is the solution. Because see, what, what they were experiencing in their community what's many, or is what many people experience in, in kind of even our community. That, that more and more people are, are really experiencing the, the reality of, of not being as connected with other people as they used to be. They identify really three things. The first one they say is this. They say that, that more and more people feel isolated in their life. That more and more people feel this, this sense of isolation, this loneliness. I was doing some research this week and I came across a, a study that really talks about maybe a reason why this is the case. It said, according to a recent report from City Observatory, which is an urban policy think tank, that about one-third of Americans say that they've never interacted with their neighbors. It's about 30% of people in the United States say they've never interacted with the people closest to them. He says, compare that to the 1970s when nearly 30% of Americans frequently spent time with their neighbors and only 20% had no interaction with them. And so they, they go on to say that it's basically flipped. You know, back in the, back in the 70s, 30% were, were really, really connected to their neighbors, and only about 20% didn't have much interaction with them. Well, now it's completely flipped. And, and we see this just in kind of how life has become, right? Over the years, you know, front porches turned into backyard decks, right? You know, not, not as many people have front porches where you hang out. Where do you hang out? You hang out in your backyard. You know, you don't go to, the, to pick up the newspaper as much anymore. What you do to go in the morning to find your news is you either turn on the TV or you, uh, you go and you, you check out a website or you look on social media. That's kind of, you, you don't have those connections of people out kind of getting the paper in the morning. You know, garage door openers are a great thing, but they actually allow us to come to our house never having to talk to anybody and never leaving a car or going into a house without having to have any kind of interaction that many, more and more people are feeling isolated. They're feeling lonely. And that isolation then causes what, what they said was kind of something else they experienced, that more and more people are feel, feeling fearful. That, we talked about this actually a couple weeks ago. 
in, in our last series that fear is really a, a reality for so many people in our culture. And really, it's, it's fear of the unknown. When we don't know somebody, we don't know, you know the people next door, it's easier to, to be afraid of them or to have some fear about that unknown. Uh, a Pew survey uh, found this, that good neighbors can be a blessing, whether they're people you can trust to water the plants or watch the kids, but building, the tr- building that trust can be hard. Just half of Americans, 52%, say they trust all or most of their neighbors, while a similar share, 48%, say they trust some or none of their neighbors. So it's about split with kind of how we trust and who we trust, even in our neighborhoods. And so that isolation leads to really fear because it's the people around us are unknown. And then what happens is, is that that fear leads to the third thing that we see is misunderstanding. It leads to misunderstanding. When we don't know somebody, then it's easy to kind of not understand why things are the way they are. You know, why does, why does my neighbor have so many cars in their front yard? Right? Why, why do they always throw their trash into my trash can instead of paying for trash service? Like, well, you know, what's going on with that, right? You know, why is, you know, why is that lawn art there, right? You know, and so we have all these things that we, we, we don't understand people, so we isolate ourselves more and more and more. And as I was reading this book and kind of looking at this idea, the, the, they got me with this question that they asked. And the question they asked was, was this. Check it out with me. It said, what if the answer to the problems in our world and our society's biggest issues have been right under our noses for the past 2,000 years? They say, okay, when you look at this increasing isolation, this increasing fear and uneasiness and anxiety in our world, you look at this, this misunderstanding after misunderstanding, all these things going on. When you look at all of those things, could it be that the solution to all of society's biggest issues and really having a great life has been right under our noses for 2,000 years. And I'm reading that and I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. Because I'm, I'm just like you. I want to live the best life possible. Like I, I want to live in a, in a society, in a culture that is better than it used to be. I don't want to live always looking back and saying, man, the good old days were so good. You know, let's, let's go back there because we can never go back. But what if instead of going back, we could actually do something about today? And they, they put this idea out there that maybe the solution is not something new, but it's something that's always been there. And I started thinking because, you know, it's easy to be looking for something and it be right there and really not see it. You know, this, this poster that's up here, this is, this is about the size of the, the door to our pantry in our house. We don't have a very big pantry. And the pantry is about this size for about four feet, and that's it. We have the smallest pantry in Virginia, I'm telling you. Like, it's crazy. Like, it, you know, coming from Texas, when, when I first bought the house, I, one thing I looked at was, okay, where am I going to hide during a tornado? Because that's what we worry about in Texas, right? We don't have a basement. And so as I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, the, only, the best place to hide is the pantry. But only one person can fit in there, so whoever gets in that wins, right? So it's like a race. Every time a tornado goes off, it's like, you know, who's the first person in there? And I tend to be the biggest. So, um, no, I, I don't. I, I put my other kids in there. So, But what's funny is, like, with a pantry, even a one that, 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 that is that small, 
you know, we'll be sitting there getting ready for dinner, and I'm like, hey, Piper, Peyton, you know, I don't ask Layla yet, but, you know, who's my two-year-old, but I'm like, hey, can you go in the pantry and grab the ketchup, grab something? And so they'll walk over, they'll open the door, and they'll kind of look for a minute, and they'll say, I can't find it. And I'm like, it's in there. They're like, I can't find it. So I'm like, okay, I'll go look for it. So I go in and look for it. Hey, Kristen, I can't find the ketchup, right? And then so what does Kristen do? She walks over. It's right here, right? Because sometimes, even though the answer is right in front of us, we don't see it. And sometimes it's not that we got to look in a new place for a new answer. We've just got to look in the place we know the answer used to be and figure out and find out how could it really be applicable to today. And that's what our series is all about. You know, if we go back to, like, this, the simple solution, right? What did Jesus say was the, the, the most basic solution to life? You know, what, what, what if the thing that could change the fear, could change the uncertainty, could change the misunderstandings, what if, what if the thing that could give us a better life and allow us to create better communities was actually something Jesus said 2,000 years ago? Well, in the book, they go back to this passage in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, turn there, or you can look on the screen. But it's a very familiar passage if you've grown up in church like I did. It's one that we've talked about here at River Club multiple times. But it's one that I think is actually the simple solution to the problem that we're talking about. Look at this. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 says, so Luke says this, that one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So this religious expert, the person that knows the Old Testament and the Bible, knows the Jewish law better than really anybody, comes to Jesus and asks the same question that we are all asking. Is how can I have a better life? How can I live the best life? What, what can I do to, to experience great life now, but then also have life for eternity? Like, what can I do to achieve that? And so then Jesus replies with a question back to the man. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Well, he's saying, what, is it, what does God's word say? What does scripture say? What does the Old Testament say? Go back to scripture. What does scripture say is the answer. The man says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the man answers really this, this very simple solution to a very deep question. How can I have eternal life? How can I live a full life? How can I experience a great life? Jesus said, what does the Old Testament say? What does God's word say? And the man says this really simple solution. Two things, to love God and to love our neighbor. To love God and love our neighbor. Well, how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, right, verse 28, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. So Jesus says, if you want to experience life, you want to have a better life, you want to have a great life, a life now, but also a life that moves into eternity, do two simple things. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, if, if you've been around church, you've been around faith, you, you know that that's nothing new to us. But could it be that that's the answer, that's the simple solution that's been right under our noses for 2,000 years that we just haven't quite learned to master? And by not living it out in the way Jesus really intended, we're actually missing out on what Jesus intended for us. See, 
I believe this, that Jesus wanted to break down the simple solution because that would be what it would mean. That, that for us would be something that would be a lifetime trying to understand. That the more we learn to love God and the more we learn to love our neighbor, the more we experience a great life. And many of you understand that. Many of you know that. That's your experience. But I wonder this, is when it comes to the question of our neighborhood, our community, what does it really mean to love our neighbor? Because see, here's what the the man says. And I love this. The man comes back and he asks what I think to be a very significant question. The man says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You said to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I got that part. Well, who's my neighbor? Now, what's interesting is how Luke says this in verse 29. He says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Basically, the man wanted to to get Jesus to to say that what he had been doing was the right thing. So he's saying, who's my neighbor? Who's the person I'm supposed to be loving? Because hopefully it's the person that I'm already loving. Hopefully it's the person that's really easy to love. Hopefully it's the person, you know, that if you answer this the the right way, then I can kind of check the box, Jesus, and I can feel good about myself. And so often we're kind of like the man. We say, Jesus, what's most important? Okay, to love God and to love our neighbor. And we say, okay, love my neighbor, check. But do we really love our neighbor? See, they they mention in this book this this really profound thought that what if by making Jesus' statement so big and so general that we're supposed to love everybody, we actually can get away without loving anybody. What if we can love our neighbor and make the idea of who our neighbor is so big and so broad that we never have to actually love a person and still feel like I'm loving my neighbor? They say it this way in this quote. They say, if we say everyone's my neighbor, it can become an excuse for avoiding the implications of following the great commandment. Our neighbors become defined in the broadest sense. They're the people across town, the people who are helped by the organizations that receive our donations, the people whom the government helps. We don't have to feel guilty, we tell ourselves. After all, we can't be expected to love everybody, can we? The problem is, however, that when we aim for everything, we'll hit nothing. So when we insist we're neighbors with everybody, often we end up being neighbors with nobody. And I think that's so true. Because how is it that as followers of Jesus, we can agree that Jesus says to love our neighbors, but yet we can be just as isolated as everybody else. We can be just as fearful as everybody else. We can misunderstand people just as much as everybody else. Could it be that we're making this statement so broad, we never have to really do what Jesus said? And so over the course of this series, and really kind of some of the ideas based in this book, we want to do this, is we want to take Jesus' command to love our neighbor, and we want to actually talk about loving the people next door. Should we love everybody? Yes. Should we love people who are across the world? Yes. Should we love people who are across the the, the county? Absolutely. But instead of just focusing in a broad way, what would happen? What could happen if we personally 
began to love the people right next door to us? What if we began to see the place that God has put us, our house, our apartment, our trailer, wherever we live, what if God placed us there and the people in our immediate proximity are actually the purpose behind why we're where we are? What could happen if we begin to be very practical about this? That's what we want to talk about in this series. And here's kind of the big idea. This is what I believe. I believe this, that, that a better life and a better world begin when we learn to love the people next door. That if you want a better life, if we want a better world, if we want to you know, get away from feeling isolated, we want to minimize the fear in our life and others, if we want to you know, kind of put down some of the misunderstandings, right? Then let's begin by simply loving the people next door. And for the next several weeks leading up to Easter, that's the practical focus that I want to walk you through as I'm walking through it myself. To say, let's take this message of Jesus that's been right in front of us for 2,000 years, and let's begin to apply it very literally to the people who are right around us. And so as we begin this morning, now here's, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to just continue by saying this. If we're going to take this challenge, if we're going to begin to be people that, that, that love Fredericksburg, and you're kind of like, I don't live in Fredericksburg. Well, we couldn't say love Fredericksburg, Stafford, King George, Spotsylvania. Like, so we just had to pick our local area, okay? So if we're really going to make a difference here, love locally, it's going to mean we're going to have to start loving the people right next door. So how do we begin to do that? So what I want to share with you just for the few minutes that we have left, and then I want to give you some homework. I know you're like, I don't come to church for homework. I rarely give you homework, okay? But I am this series. Because we want to get so basic that we can't argue and miss what God's wanting to do. So how do we begin to love our neighbor? Well, Jesus tells this story, and, and I think he, he shares with us three things. So he he's had this conversation with this man, and the, and the guy said, you know, how can I experience life? Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. He said, who's my neighbor? Then Jesus replies with this story. Verse 30. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed him, the innkeeper, two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And Jesus concludes, says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, the man, Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And so then Jesus says, go and do the same. So Jesus tells this parable, this story with a purpose, story with a meaning. To answer the man's question of what does it really mean to be a neighbor and who's my neighbor? And Jesus uses the example of the Samaritan man who would have not been the one the Jewish man was thinking was going to be the hero of the story. Because in Jesus' culture, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people did not get along. The Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. 
And so Jesus is, is breaking down expectations, but he's giving an example that if you want to be a neighbor, you want to truly love God and love others, you need to be like this Samaritan man. And there's three things that I think we see in this passage. The first one is this, is that if we want to truly learn to love the people next door, we have to develop compassion. We have to develop compassion. Jesus says this about the Samaritan in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Compassion is the awareness of and the willingness to meet a need. So compassion begins by simply having an awareness of the people who are around us. Now, the, the, the priest who saw the man and decided to walk on the other side of the road and leave him there, and so the temple assistant did the same thing. They, they, they saw, they were aware of the need, but they didn't do anything to meet the need. Compassion's not just being aware. Compassion is awareness with action. It's not just being aware, it's being willing. And so if we are going to be people who learn to love our neighbor, we're going to need God to develop compassion in our hearts for the people who live right around us. And that means everybody who lives right around us. Not just the people that we know, not just the people whose yards we approve of, but everybody who's around us. We have to develop compassion. Well, how do we begin to do that? Well, we begin to get aware of people. We begin to pray for people. We begin to ask God to, to break our heart and help us to see that the person next door is not just a house. It's an actual person. A person who's probably feeling isolated. Who might be fearful. And there's a reason why we always have misunderstandings. Jesus says we need to develop compassion. Second thing we see in the Good Samaritan is this. Not just that we need to develop compassion, but we have to develop flexibility. We have to develop flexibility. Jesus says that, you know, the, 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 high, the priest sees the man and, and goes on the other side. So does the temple assistant. Well, why would they do that? Why would they pass by? It's possible that the reason they didn't go help the man was that they were going to do a good thing. They were going to serve in the temple. They were going to do the religious stuff they were supposed to do. And to go over and, and help the man, especially if he was already dead, would have meant that they would be considered unclean and unable to perform their ministry in the Jewish temple. So it might not be that they were heartless. They just had a different priority. They had a different plan. They chose the good thing to do over the right thing to do. And see, we have to develop flexibility. It says this, Jesus says that the Samaritan saw the man and the Samaritan went to him. It says going to the man. The Samaritan had to not just see the need, but he had to go and he went and met the need. And when he went and met the need and he went over there, he was embracing the reality that this might take me out of my plan. Now, this is a road that you're traveling on. They weren't out on a Sunday joyride. The Samaritan was getting somewhere, and he was going somewhere as well. He had a plan. He had a responsibility. He had an obligation. He was traveling to some place, and he went over to the man, and then he took care of the man. I think sometimes, for me anyway, I don't want to engage in the person that might have the need because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how long is this going to take, right? 
because I got someplace I need to go. And I'm just as guilty of the next person sometimes of putting the good thing before the right thing. But if we're truly going to learn to love the people next door, we're going to have to develop some flexibility. Because other people's needs don't always happen on our time frame. And the Samaritan did that. He changed directions, focused on the man. And then he did what needed to be done for the man. And it cost him time. It cost him money. It cost him to get off schedule. But we also see that he wasn't just compassionate and flexible. He was intentional. He was intentional. I I love this part of the story. Because Jesus says this in verse 35. It says, the next day, he, the Samaritan, handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, the Samaritan could have taken the man to the, the, the inn, could have taken him off the road and said, you know what, I, I'm good. Like, I've done my good deed for the day. But he went above and beyond. But he, he went above and beyond in an intentional way. He said, here's money that this man might need, or the anchor might need to take care of the man. And he said, if it costs more, I'm going to come back this way so I can make sure and pay you. He was intentional about not just giving money, but making sure the man had everything he needed to be taken care of. And see, that's where I want to kind of end today is I want to talk to you about being intentional. Because this is one of those messages that if we're not careful, right? I grew up in church, so I can say this. Like, we're like, oh, that, yeah, that's, we need to do that. And, and then we go home and we don't do anything, right? Because we get busy. Or we, you know, something happens and, and, and we, get, we get distracted. And so I want to talk to you really about a very practical thing that I want to give to you that we're going to use throughout the rest of our series. And it's called the neighborhood map. On your note sheet, I want you to turn over to the back and you're going to see um, basically this image written down on that card. And so what this represents is this is you, Okay. The, 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 the house in the middle, that represents you. That can be your house, your apartment, wherever you kind of call home, this is you. Now, here's the thing. You might be saying, Zach, my neighborhood doesn't look like this. Probably not, right? Because if so, either you got a really good deal or you did not get a good deal, right? If you're that person. But what we want to do is we want to say, okay, what if our focus wasn't everybody even our entire neighborhood, but what if we focused on the eight houses directly around us? Now, for some, it might be, okay, well, this is me. Well, this person's, like, way over here. Or, like, if, if, you're, if you're me, like, we don't have these people because we back up to uh, some woods and then, um, like, a, some, some housing or some uh, business area. So maybe I need to, like, put this person here, put that person here. But, like, let's just say, okay, the eight people closest to you, how do you begin to love them? Well, if we're going to love somebody, we first have to know them. So here's, here's what I want you to do. This is your homework, okay? Can you do these three things? The first one is this. For every house that's there, can you fill in the names of the people that live there? For your eight closest neighbors, can you fill in the names of the people? You're like, well, I got first names, but not last. 
Okay, well, you know, start where you are, right? Can you fill in the names of the people who are your eight closest neighbors? If you don't know their name, it's hard to get to know them, right? If you're horrible with names, you might be like, Zach, I've lived there for eight years. And they told me their name five times. Well, you need a sixth time to write it down, right? Or maybe you ask this person, hey, what's their name? And you write it down. Listen, there's no cheating, okay? We're just doing this, right? The second question, though, don't just start, stop there. The second question is, can you fill in some basic information about each person? And so by, by basic information, I mean this, like not something you can, you can observe from the, the driveway of your house. So not like they have a red truck, right? Or they're, they're, they're an HVAC technician because they have a work van. Like something that you would only know because you've actually met them and had some interaction. But nothing too deep, you know. It could be, hey, they have, um, you know, um, they're from Ohio. Or, you know, something that you wouldn't know just by looking at them, right, but that you would know. But then the third thing is this, is can you write down some more in-depth information about them? Something that you would only know because you have connected and gotten to know that person. See, if we're going to love our neighbor, if we're going to truly love the people next door, the people who are the closest in proximity to us, we've got to begin by just simply learning who they are. And so that's the takeaway for today. That's the, the homework that I want you to focus on and I want to focus on this week is to come back and say, how much of this can I fill out? And if you're like, I can't do any of it, okay. You have to know where you're going to start before you can go forward. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to do this. I don't have time for this. Like, this is so elementary. I've been a Christian for 25 years. But may I just very politely mention that if you can't do this, you've been a Christian for 25 years, maybe you're not quite there yet. I'll be honest with you. I can do about half. Half. You know how how long I've lived in my house? 12 years. And there's lots of good reasons. There's a big street here. It's dangerous. Right? You know? But is that a good excuse? You know, what could happen? Seriously, what could happen? If between now and Easter, we decided that we were going to begin to take the message of Jesus and the command of Jesus, literally. I believe our lives would get better. I believe our neighborhood would get better. And what if everybody took that challenge and we began to do what Jesus told us to do? And as we got better, our neighborhood got better, our community gets better, What if that could actually be the solution to help make our world a better place? Listen, you might not be a follower of Jesus, but I would almost guarantee and bet this would make your life better anyway. What do we need to do today to take the next step? One of the practical things that we're going to do throughout our series is you see there's two 
uh, kind of easels here that, that, that we had made. And there's different sections, different blocks. And, and here's, what, here's what I believe. We're going to talk in a few weeks about the motivation of why we should love somebody. The motivation of loving somebody is, is not to get them to come to your church. You're supposed to love them because Jesus said to love them. But in loving them, if God opens the opportunity because you've invested in them, because you've cared about them, because they've learned to trust you, could it be that God uses them or uses you and uses our church to help them experience life in Jesus? Perhaps. But we want to begin praying for the people that you know. Praying specifically by name over these next 40 days for the people who you're identifying here. And so you can see in the first service, there were already some people that said, I know some of my neighbors. And so they came to write them down and said, listen, this is who my people are. And listen, you might be saying, Zach, I don't know my people, but you know what? I work with this person and I I believe in my heart that I need to be praying for them. Write their name down too. We want to start here, but we're not going to stay here. And so during this next song, as we respond, here's what I want you to think about. Ask God the question, God, do you need to grow in me a heart of compassion for my neighbors? Do you need to allow me to have the discipline to be flexible? Do you need to give me the the heart and the willingness to be intentional about loving my neighbors? And maybe today the step to take is to come and to write their name on that board so that we can begin to pray specifically for them as you reach out to them. The power behind God's word is found in our willingness to do what it says. Are you willing? Are we willing to truly love the people next door? Let's pray together. Father God, we come today thanking you for the simplicity, God, of your truth. God, there are some parts of of the Bible, some parts of your teaching that are hard to understand. But there are other parts that are simple. But just because they're simple doesn't make them easy to do. And so, God, today as we come to this point in our service, as we've been challenged with your word, I pray, God, we would respond. God, as we sing about the faith that we need, the faith that we desire to move out of our comfort zones and truly learn to love not just our neighbor but the people next door, God, I believe you're going to challenge us. I believe you're going to work out divine situations and opportunities that we haven't had before to really connect with people. And God, I pray that as we follow you in obedience, God, as we do what you're calling us to do, that we would see the blessing that brings to our life, but we'd also see the blessing and the change that brings to those around us. So God, do in our lives whatever you need to do to help us become the people you're calling us to be. God, this time of response and singing is about you speaking to us. It's about you leading us. And so God, would you do that now? In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and respond?